Thank you, Patrick. I, is anyone wondering who this young man is? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Patrick Guzman. Uh, yeah. Did I say that right, Guzman? Yeah, you yeah. got it right. You got it right. Yeah. So uh, Patrick is with the church in Petaluma that we have been partnering with for ongoing fire relief. Uh, and so we're super excited Patrick's here. He's actually the son of the pastor. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, um, I can only hope someday my kids will grow up to be like Patrick. Uh, so uh, Patrick, thanks for being with us and hope we can have you back with us again sometime. Uh, welcome to Bay Marin, everyone. Welcome to the first week of Ski Week. Uh, glad you're spending Ski Week with us here. A um, couple of things before we jump into our text this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 21 this morning. I want to talk a little bit, because I know a lot of you couldn't make the Ash Wednesday service, so I want to talk a little bit about Lent uh, and um, the idea of giving something up for Lent, uh, which is not required. You don't have to do it. Uh, but if, if there is something stirring within you, I love what Rebecca said, listen to your body. Uh, there's something that I've found helpful the last several years when discerning and praying through what might God be inviting me to give up for Lent. And it's uh, this text from the Apostle Paul. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. So maybe one way of thinking about what is God inviting me to give up for Lent is to think through your life. What are the things in your life that they're fine? They're, it's not a sin to be engaging in it. It's just, they're fine, but maybe it's not the most beneficial thing for you right now in your life. Uh, I, I make a practice of trying to give uh, a few things up for Lent, but one thing for 10 years now that I've given up every Lent is news because I'm an NPR junkie. And it, I get in the car and I have all the intentions of the world of listening to that audio book or listening to that podcast. And it's like, nope, it's NPR the whole way. Uh, and, and so I have found that something really good happens in my soul when I give up news for a season. Um, now, I have a couple of people in my life who will make me aware of big things that happen that uh, I should be aware of that uh, we should address. And like um, the uh, shooting at the school in Florida, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but for me, news. So that, of course, also means, and I'm not a big social media person, but I, that also means no social media because social media is so filled with news these days, right? So um, I wonder how many of you uh, are engaged on a regular basis in the social media world, and it's fine. Maybe it's not the most beneficial thing in your life. What would it look like for six weeks to give it up? Uh, maybe it's excessive screen time. Maybe it's uh, you know watching that show and then the next episode and then the next episode and the next episode. Maybe it's uh, a food like Rebecca was talking about, sugar or chocolate or or something like that. Maybe it's alcohol. I wonder what it looks like for us to ask ourselves the question, what, what is going on in my life right now? What am I engaged in in my life right now? And it's fine, but it's not the most beneficial thing. It's not building me up right now. It's not building others up. I wonder what things are in our lives that we could release that, that would help us to be more fully present to God and to each other. Uh, 
what does it look like to have focus time this season to be more fully present to God? Uh, a theme for us this Lent is what does God want to unlock within me? Uh, at the Ash Wednesday service, uh, everyone got one of these old-fashioned keys, so if you weren't there, sorry, you missed out. Um, I'm kidding. I got a whole bowl full of them here. Everyone gets one. Um, so I want to invite you to grab one of these keys when you come down for communion and put it on your keychain or put it on a chain around your neck or just carry it around in your pocket. Carry this around with you this Lent. And, and every time, like this morning, uh, when I went to unlock the student center next door and I saw the old-fashioned key there, it just reminded me to say a little prayer. God, what, what do you want to unlock within me today? God, what, what are you unlocking within me? How, how do I live more fully into the true self you created me to be? God, will you unlock more fully the true me that you created to image you and to be like you in the world. And so I want to invite you to carry one of these with you throughout Lent. And, and every time you see it, simply be reminded to say a little prayer. God, what do you want to unlock within me this Lent? Um, also, uh, there's a whole page on our website, Three Years with Jesus page. So as we're going through this Three Years with Jesus series, uh, I invite you to follow along on, on that page. And um, these are the texts for the next six Sundays of Lent. I want to encourage you, invite you to be reading these throughout the week and, and preparing your heart for diving into these texts and exploring these texts together as a community and uh, inviting you to be asking God uh, to, by his spirit, reveal what God is saying through these texts to us. Uh, a big uh, piece of Ash Wednesday is the idea to remember we are dust. Uh, remember, from dust you came and to dust you will return. Lent is a time for us to, to realign our desires towards God and recognize our own mortality, uh, to, to recognize broken desires within us that need to be realigned uh, to our desires rooted and grounded in Christ. And uh, we, we remember uh, that we are dust. Um, for me, I, uh, I've had the opportunity to go to Israel twice, and one time when I was there, perhaps that trip, the most moving experience for me was going to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, there's an aerial image of it, if you go back one, uh, there is an aerial image of the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, and it's such a moving experience, uh, and it moves uh, to this point called the Hall of Names, which is the next slide, and uh, what happens in the Hall of Names is it, it's just, it's very sacred, uh, it's very quiet in there, and what you hear are different voices reading names of people who died in the Holocaust, whose lives were taken, um, and uh, so I, I think it's good to remember, I think it's good to read names, and uh, so this morning I want to invite you to close your eyes with me and we will remember and read the names of the victims who died in Florida. Alyssa Albheth, 14. 
Scott Beagle, 35. Martin Angiano, 14. Nicholas Dwarit, 17. Aaron Feiss, 37. Jamie Gutenberg, 14. Chris Hickson, 49. Luke Hoyer, 15. Kara Lugran, 14. Gina Montalto, 14. Joaquin Oliver, 17. Elena Petty, 14. Meadow Pollock, 18. Helena Ramsey, 17. Alex Scotchter, 14. Carmen Schwentrup, 16. Peter Wang, 15. God, we want to pray for the families of those who lost loved ones. The shooting that took place uh, both on Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day. A day that will never look the same. God, we come to you with the energy we have waiting and watching and hoping. We wait for you to dissolve in tender tears. We wait for you to ache and hurt and care over us and with us and beyond us. Cry with us the brutality. Grieve with us the misery. Tremble with us the poverty and hurt. Attend to us by attending in power and in mercy. Remake this alien world into our proper home. We pray in the name of the utterly homeless one, even Jesus. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 21, 
this is traditionally the text for Palm Sunday. Um, and so we're a little early this year, uh, but our schedule with three years with Jesus is leading us uh, from this text uh, further and further closer to the cross and then ultimately knowing resurrection is among us. Uh, says, as they approached Jerusalem. Now, in uh, other gospel tellings of Jesus' life, Jesus has been to Jerusalem uh, a handful of times. But in Matthew's telling of uh, Jesus' story, uh, this is the first time Jesus has entered Jerusalem in Matthew's gospel. And uh, th there is this sense that Jesus, his entire life has been leading towards Jerusalem, that, that the mission of Jesus as he came and lived a perfect life and as he showed us the best possible way to live, it's all leading towards Jerusalem and ultimately the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And, and so it says, as Jesus was coming closer to Jerusalem. Now, uh, in Matthew 16, Jesus had said to his disciples, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So beginning in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to prepare his disciples, letting them know this is what is coming. Uh, because these disciples have been expecting Jesus to come, to be Messiah, to be set up as king, to drive out Rome, and to make all things right. And Jesus is saying, hey, I, I'm preparing you for what's coming. We're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be taken, and I'm going to be killed. And he reminds them again of it not long before our text for this morning in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 17 says, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside. And so he, he wanted his closest followers to know what was happening. He takes them aside and he says, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So for a second time, Jesus tells his disciples, this is what is going to happen. We're going to Jerusalem, and this is what's going to happen. And after he has taken the 12 aside and specifically shared with them that he was going to suffer and die, what happens next? Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. What is it you want, Jesus said. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Uh, and so they're missing something. They, they still think that Jesus is going to Jerusalem and he's going to be set up as king and drive Rome out. And, and she wants to make sure her sons have prominent positions in this kingdom. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? In other words, can you suffer and die the way I am going to suffer and die? This is what we're going to Jerusalem to do, not to set up an earthly kingdom right here, right now. 
I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die. In verse 25, Jesus called the twelve together again, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, he's saying, listen, you know how the kingdoms of the world work. Kings set themselves up, rulers set themselves up, and, and they rule by power, by fear, by intimidation, and, and they rule over people and set themselves up over them rather than being with them. He says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is trying over and over again to help his followers understand what he has come to do and why he's there. And he's letting them know, listen, the best possible way to live, the greatest in the kingdom, is one who serves. And I have come not to be served, but to serve. Then we move to Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This is just, I, every time I read this, I just find this so interesting. So, like Jesus just knows there, you know, there's a donkey up there and you can go get it. And if anyone says anything to you, don't worry. They'll understand and you just bring it back. This took place. To fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this uh, comes out of Zechariah 9 and the context around this Zechariah 9 says, rejoice greatly daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So the, the, the Messiah that Zechariah is talking about who will come is no military Messiah like the people are anticipating. He's talking about a Messiah that will come riding on a donkey. He's talking about a Messiah that will come and bring peace. He's talking about a Messiah who will break battle bows, who, who will bring about the end of violence, not initiate violence. And he comes on a donkey. Uh, let's skip a slide, Rebecca, and go to next one. Uh, Jesus knows there are different ways to enter a city. You can enter on a donkey or on a war horse. Uh, in Jesus' day, 200 years before Jesus, there was a guy named Judas Maccabeus. And Judas Maccabeus uh, was proclaimed Messiah. People believed he was the Messiah because he had gone out as a military ruler and he had defeated enemies of Israel who had been uh, oppressing Israel, and he rode into 
Jerusalem on a war horse. And the people shouted and cheered because they believed this, finally, this is the Messiah. Uh, but Judas Maccabeus also died. Uh, and so they kept longing and waiting, and they became oppressed again, and this time by Rome. And they kept longing and waiting for a Messiah who would come and free them from their oppressors. And they now believe this has got to be Jesus. Jesus, this has got to be the one who is going to free us from oppression. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their, colts, their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Hosanna means save. So they're shouting, save, save. They, they want Jesus to save them from the Roman oppressors. And they believe he's the guy to do it. Elsewhere in John's gospel, they talk about how uh, the people, after Jesus uh, multiplied the bread and the loaves the, and the fishes, uh, they tried to force Jesus to become king. They're like, if, a, if he can do this, he can certainly drive out Rome. And they tried to force him to become king. And here they are shouting, Hosanna, save, save. And they believe that Jesus is the one who will free them from the oppression of Rome, what they don't understand is that Jesus came to bring a whole different kind of kingdom. He came to bring a whole different way of being in the world than what they are anticipating, what they are longing for, what they want. Uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, the power center. Yeah. It is where uh, Herod has one of his palaces. It is where the religious elite have their place, and, and they rule over the temple because they have the favor of Rome. They're in, they're friendly with Rome, and so they're able to rule there. And so Jesus is coming from the margins. Jesus is coming as one who is from Nazareth. He is from the margins, and he's entering into the power center, and the crowds are shouting Hosanna. Now these crowds, what's important for us to understand, these crowds, most of them are not people who live in Jerusalem. Tons of Jewish people are converging on Jerusalem because the Passover feast is about to take place. The celebration of the exodus from Egypt, where they were in their history, these are a people who have been oppressed over and over again. And in their history, they were oppressed by Egypt, and God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land, into freedom. And they celebrate that every year, their, their freedom from the oppression of Egypt. And what they are longing for now is a new exodus, a new Moses, who will bring them out of oppression from Rome. And they're shouting Hosanna. And this Jewish itinerant rabbi from the margins is now entering the power center of Israel into Jerusalem. But Jesus knows there are different ways. There are different ways to enter a city. Uh, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, not on a war horse, which a military messiah would do, 
but on a donkey. Uh, Jesus, knowing his death is coming, is continuing to try to wake them up to a different way of being human in the world, a different way of living. And it's the way of love, the way of forgiveness, the way of grace. It is not the way of anger, fear, and violence. Uh, I think Jesus then and now is teaching us a different way of being in the world. Uh, this makes me think that there are different ways to enter a conversation. How do you engage conversations, especially conversations where the topic is something that you may have a very different opinion than the person you're talking with? There are different ways to enter a conversation. Do you enter on a donkey or do you enter on a war horse? Um, there are different ways to enter a room, whether it be a boardroom, a living room, or a bedroom. Uh, how do you engage at work? How do you engage at home? Uh, this, uh, this past weekend, um, we had some friends who took our kids uh, for a weekend a month or so ago, so Jenna and I could get away for the weekend, and so this weekend was our turn, so we had three additional kids in the Crick House this weekend, and uh, it was so much fun, and it was so exhausting. Uh, and by this morning, um, I'm like, all right, I need to ask myself, how am I going to enter into the living room this morning when there is screaming and running and shouting and loud, 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 and I'm like, I just want to get out of here, and I know I have to bring three of these kids with me to Bay Marin. Uh, <clears throat> there are different ways to enter a room. Uh, how do you enter a room because when, when you enter, uh, if you're irritated or you're angry, the, those around you can feel it. Uh, they can feel it and it affects them. Uh, how will you enter a room a as a peacemaker or as one who might bring strife, irritation, anger? Uh, there are different ways to enter a room. There are different ways to drive. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I need to say anything more about that one. Uh, there are different ways to engage social media. Oh. Um, how is it possible that we still haven't learned that you're not going to change anyone's mind on social media? It doesn't matter what you put, you're not going to change their mind. Can, can we say that together? You're not going to change their mind. Okay. Uh, so post pictures of your food or something. Uh, <clears throat> there are different ways to fill in the blank. Uh, what is it for you? Uh, there are different ways to a conversation. Uh, there are different ways to be with people. Uh, there are different ways to engage life. Uh, Jesus knows there are different ways to enter a city, and the expectation is for him to enter on a war horse. And what he does, what he's always so good at doing, 
is flipping the expectations on their heads, and he enters on a donkey. He chooses to ride in with humility and love and grace. In uh, Luke's version of this telling, after he enters the city, this is where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because he longs for Jerusalem to wake up to a different way of being. He, he, he knows it's possible that the potential exists for them to live differently, but they're blinded. They're blinded to who God created them to be. Uh, this text ends, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and uh, that word stirred is shaken. It's the same Greek word that's used when Jesus died on the cross and the earth shook. Uh, like something big is happening. Matthew wants us to know something big is happening here. Uh, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, because most of the people, the crowds are people who were with Jesus in Galilee and elsewhere. The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is a prophet from the margins entering the power center. And things are about to get stirred up. Uh, you read through the Hebrew scriptures and you know that when a prophet comes into Jerusalem, things most often do not end well for the prophet. Prophets get killed in the power centers. And it continues to happen today. Prophets get killed in the power centers. Jesus is entering the power center. He's about to stir the pot. He's about to speak truth to the powers. And they are not going to like what he has to say. Uh, if we can skip to the second to last slide. Uh, the road into Jerusalem leads not to a mighty throne, but the cross. The road into Jerusalem leads not to a position of power, but nailed to a cross, a symbol of public disgrace at the hands of the powers. The road into Jerusalem leads not to an assault on the powers, but to suffering and dying at their hands. This is the road we are invited to travel. What does God want to unlock within you on this road? Uh, so this morning as we come and take the bread and the cup and as you grab a key, uh, I want to invite you to ask, God, what do you want to unlock within me on this road? Jesus invites us to join him on the road, the road to the cross, uh, the road where the greatest is the least, uh, the mightiest is the one who serves. Jesus invites us onto the long, hard road of the cross because it always, always, always leads to resurrection. It's the best possible way to live. When we give ourselves away for the sake of the world, when we live the way Jesus taught us to live, it always leads to an experience of resurrection life in Christ, the abundant life Jesus promised us in him. It was on the night he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup 
He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for his life. Thank you for the power of the cross. That which looked like sure and certain defeat at the hands of the powers was the overthrow of all sin and evil and death. We thank you that that which looked like defeat was the victory of God. We thank you that it didn't end there. That by the power of the Spirit, you rose Jesus to life again. God, may we be a people who recognize there are, there are different ways to be. And by your Spirit, we can choose life and love grace and forgiveness and humility. God, empower us to live into the Jesus way of being in the world. As we take the bread and dip it in the cup this morning, God, remind us once again of who we are as your children, that we are rooted and grounded in Christ, and wake us up to what you are unlocking within us. We pray this in the name of Jesus.